Maz, do you, is it, how do I say Maz? Mazuma, okay, I got it right. Mazuma, would you come as well? David just got back from Africa, where he's been on the ground for four months, um, and brought back with him Mazuma uh, from Togo, Africa. David, could you give us a quick thumbnail of what you just did for four months and where we're going from here? First of all, I don't think life can get any better than it is right now. Uh, being a part of Conduit has, I've never, I'm second generation missionary and I've been doing this for a little while, but I've never been any more encouraged and blessed by a church family than you guys. And I mean it with all of my heart. Y'all are a heartbeat of mine that uh, when I'm so far away and alone, it feels that way oftentimes when uh, I can't communicate a lot and that kind of thing. To know that I have a family back here that's praying for me and behind me, I'm telling you, it goes far more than money ever could or anything else. So I want to thank you so much for all you've done. God has been moving in an incredible way. We landed uh, in uh, Ghana, West Africa. We drove three hours over the border, then 10 hours up into Dapong, and then we got on a motorcycle and we drove two and a half hours more into a village called uh, Benja. When I got there, uh, it was it's nothing but a diseased-filled uh, a community of people, uh, well over 10,000 people reside in this area with no electricity. There's not any water wells at all. They're drinking from uh, a pond, literally. And actually, they get excited about going and getting a drink of water. You can see the children running down to this riverbed that's completely dried up. They'll dig a little bit. Like, have you ever been to the ocean and have dug a little bit and water fills the, the hole up? That's what happens. And they think that that's filtering the water. And I guess it is to some extent. And they'll reach down and, and drink. You can see the worms swimming in this, this stuff. And you see their bellies protruded. So you go into this village and it's just completely disease-filled. Uh, they don't have a single church or anything else. And my heart breaks and thinks, you know, if I can't care about their physical help, then why would I ever care about their eternal uh, hope? And so what we have a heart to do is go into this village and um, help, help them. We've been given 22 and a half acres, full and clear. Uh, the, the missionaries that have been there, some have been there 25 years and said, David, there's no way you'll get this in your name. Uh, the, the country won't allow Americans to have any land or anything in their name. Well, we went to see the governor, and it probably took us maybe an hour, two hours, and uh, it's in our name, and it's secured 22 and a half acres to build an orphanage. There's well over, we've interviewed over 100 orphans already, and what they do with the orphans they'll, there, they'll take them into their homes, but they'll use them as slaves. And uh, these kids never go to a school or anything. They bring them in. They'll feed them. It's cheap help. And then they'll work the fields. And so you see two-year-old kids literally in a lion mods. I'm talking about little toddler kids pulling uh, big old bulls and, and herding the cattle and uh, hoeing. And it's just incredible the, the sights that I see there. But God has some awesome plans. Uh, every night we had, some, we had an evangelistic service, and no fewer than 1,000 per night showed up. A lot of decisions, and we're, we're counting those decisions, but we're basing them on, we have two pastors that are left there, and they're discipling and training, and so we're not counting the decisions for a year. So we know those that really uh, answer the call to follow the Lord, and we're working with them even this morning. Of course, the time is different. Uh, but they'll be meeting, and um, awesome things are happening. Well, thanks to you and, and Miles for, um, for joining us. 
and we'll have more to come as far as videos and things that have uh, that they've captured and and we're not done we're just getting started in uh, in Togo uh, David I was talking to him and he's talking about the, the bus or the the truck and then the motorcycle and the, you talk about the ends of the earth he says I think I found it <laughs> I think I found the ends of the earth so uh, and that's they deserve the gospel just as much as we do here in Williamson County. And so through our works and through our uh, lectures and through our speeches, um, speech to them, our words and deeds, so to speak, uh, we, we will bring them. And so, Maz, we're happy that you're here to, to represent them. And we love you guys and we're excited to get to serve your folks. So thanks. Thank thanks, guys. We're, um, we believe that God is on the move, that the, that the book of Acts speaks of a church that was very fluid, that was moving. Um, we have no desire to build an empire, to camp out, and to, to build a beast that requires food. Um, we want to keep as, as fluid as possible so that we can then send guys like David, uh, send Teresa and Philip who are on the ground in Haiti right now, and you know, send ourselves. We've got another team going in, uh, to Octo- in October to Haiti, October 19th, um, actually we've got two teams that are headed down that month, but a bunch of our own right here to go back and to love on those kids and to, like I said, we've, we've got 300 of them almost sponsored and we're gonna, there's another 300 of them that are being signed up right now. So by this time next year, man, I'm, I'm believing that we'll have 600 kids that we are sponsoring. Um, and we've had some great meetings over the last couple of weeks of some folks that, you know, God has just given us lots of great relationships of things that are coming on the ground in in Haiti with other ministries that are finding out what we're doing and they want to come be a part of it. So we're just blown away and blessed by what God has done in our midst. Um, if you'd go with me to the book of Acts, okay? Now, here's the thing. In, uh, about 11.15 or 11.20, we're going we're gonna to tap into Journey Church up in Franklin, okay? They are the church that sent us out. And this morning, our very own Jeremy Heslop uh, is being ordained into full-time ministry this morning. Now, that's a tradition of man. Uh, it, technically, Paul was never ordained. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, didn't go to seminary. He didn't. Uh, and he wrote most of the New Testament. But according to us, we can, we can recognize somebody and, and, and say, hey, we recognize that Jeremy's been called into ministry. So we're going to do that live via satellite. We used to say that in the 80s, and it was all really expensive and fun. But now it's going to be Skype. But um, get a, a view of them and what's going on up there. Uh, and I don't know, according to Eric, myself, and Ren, we're giving this about a 50-50 as to whether this is going to work or not, right? So let's set our expectations low, and then if it works, we'll be really thrilled. And if not, uh, if not, you can forget about it over some hamburgers and hot dogs. Because also, it's, uh, we love to celebrate uh, holidays here at Conduit, and the, uh, the men of Conduit, uh, Mr. January and Mr. February, Carrie and Greg, are, uh, are out grilling right now for you. So Acts chapter 9, verse... Oh, where shall we start? Verse 25. But his followers took him by night and lowered him. If, it's, if you've got a King James Bible, it actually says, and let him down in a basket through an opening in the wall. God, would you be with us this morning as we encounter your word, as we investigate your scriptures, that we know that these words are a lamp to our feet. They're a light to our path We know that you uh, supernaturally communicate to us individually as we go to your word. We ask for your revelation to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So they let him down on a basket, in a basket over a wall, in the middle of the night. And this is 
If you were here last week, you know we met a guy named Saul in the Bible, right? This was the guy that his name would later be changed to Paul, and he would end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And here is my man Saul literally running for his life, being let down from a wall in the middle of the night, walking off by himself in the dark. Now, Saul would later look back on this moment in 2 Corinthians. I'll read it to you. You don't have to go there just for the sake of time this morning. But in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30, he would refer back to this moment of being let down by his friends. He says, if I must boast, if I must brag, is one of the paraphraser guys says, of the, of the things that show my weakness, then I will boast of those things. Of that show my, if I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag about the things that show my weakness. And again, the paraphrase version actually says my humiliations. If I'm going to brag about anything, I'm going to brag about that. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eretus had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered, again, let down in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Paul didn't look at this moment as, as a great escape moment like we would in the movie, right? This is the moment where the hero gets away. and He looked at this as a moment of, of humiliation, of a failure for himself. And to understand that, you've got to go back to realize, here's Saul that in Acts 8, chapter 3, if you remember, we were there last week. It talks about Saul. And it says that Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Saul was not one of us. Okay? He was not one of the believers. He was it was, this was about as shocking for them as it would be for us if, like, say, Osama got saved, okay, and went on the circuit to do speaking engagements. It was, it was shocking. This guy got saved? Because in this moment, what he did is it says that he went on a, a rampage. In, I think the King James, it actually says havoc. He wreaked havoc. And that word actually speaks of if, you've, if you're a redneck like myself, if you've ever seen a boar that's been speared, okay, if you don't get them right, they go bonkers, okay, ballistic, and they destroy everything in their path. Pierced, wreaking havoc like a wild boar. And Paul absolutely had been pierced. His heart was pierced because he stood there and he watched what happened to Stephen. And he went on a rampage against the church, against Christians. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, it says that meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here is Saul expanding his ministry, if you will. He's like, okay, I, I, we, we, got, we got him covered here in Jerusalem. And we saw earlier that they decided they were going to go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So Saul knows that they're split in town. He's going to go find them. So he's headed to Damascus. And if you were in Sunday school, you might remember the story. On the way to Damascus, this bright light shone. It's recorded in chapter 9. that it's, It stopped him, and the, and the Lord says to him, uh, why do you persecute me? He says he fell to the ground, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice 
say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And of course, Saul's looking up going, Lord, who are you? Like he didn't know, right? And he says, I'm, I'm the guy that you're persecuting. And now he's blinded by this bright light. It's like he'd been in darkness. You know how it is when you've been in the theater for too long and you walk out and you can't see because the sun is so bright? Paul had walked in darkness for so long that when the light of Jesus shone on him, he just was literally physically blinded, could not see. And he was then told to go to the house of this guy named Judas. Because meanwhile, down the road, there's a guy named Ananias. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but parenthetically, it's interesting to me that all the names that are listed in this chapter are ones that really had bad names. Judas, right? We know him. It's not the same Judas, but we know that his name, right? We know that Ananias' name was not necessarily a good name in the church because it was a guy that had lied to the Holy Spirit. Even Damascus, the place itself, was sort of frowned down upon by the Jewish people. I think that God is just saying, I'm going to redeem names. And if your name has been mud in the past, if you've done things that maybe your name don't bring honor to your name, man, God will redeem your name. He redeems our names. So he's redeeming names parenthetically. But he goes there and this guy named Ananias is told, hey, look, Saul is going to come to your house and you need to, you need to or to this house of Judas, you need to go there. And keeping in mind, I mean, try to put yourself, and the only thing I could think is Osama. Think God says, hey, Jeff, I need you to go to your buddy's house and Osama's going to be there. And he is going to have had a relationship with the Lord because I've just arrested him. And think about how hard that is to swallow. So Ananias, I don't think it's nearly enough credit. I'd be like, you know what? I appreciate your enthusiasm, Lord, but let's wait and see how this plays out. Um, but no, he doesn't. He goes right to the house, and he encounters Saul. In verse 15, the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. before." Now make note of this, by the way. Before the Gentiles, number one, their kings, number two, and before the people of Israel, number three. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, not you jerkwad, you killed my friends. He says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again uh, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again interesting because later Paul would write in Romans that the, the, the Israeli people, the Jewish people, whom God is not finished with yet, he has not replaced them with us. He still has a place and a purpose and a plan for the Jewish people. But interesting, he would later say that they are blinded from the gospel. For you and my account, if you are a Gentile, which basically means you're not Jewish, for our account that they were blinded for a period of time, so that we, that salvation might be brought to us. But interesting that he would use that phrase when he himself was blinded and these scales would fall off of his own eyes. And he says, let's go on to verse uh, 19, the last half. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to teach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Now, we don't know this from reading this, but if you go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 17, verse 18, we know that there's a three-year gap that happens between verses 21 and 22. We know that 
during that three-year period that Saul would go to the, uh, to the deserts of Arabia, that he would be tutored by the Holy Spirit himself. You know, I don't, we don't know what happened. We know that he came back fully understanding the gospel. We know that he went there, probably took the scrolls with him, probably learned that over those 400 years before, the thousands of years, sorry, leading up to when he had had this encounter with the Lord, that all those allusions in the Old Testament, Saul was one of the, the wisest men. We know that just from the way he wrote, that he was highly educated, that he was trained by a guy that named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the teacher of teachers. So Saul was wise. He was smart. And so he probably spent those three years going, oh, that's what it was talking about. Pierced for our, our sickness and, and bruised for our iniquities. Oh, that's what it meant when it said that he would, would be born of a virgin. I mean, all those, those prophecies that all of a sudden made perfect sense. And so he comes back three years later. He has his DD, his doctorate of divinity, taught by the Lord himself. And he goes right back to Damascus, right back to where he left off to say to them, look, I'm the guy that, that was with you. You know that I believe what we were doing, and we were wrong. And he says in verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled. The word, I love the King James word, confounded the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now notice it didn't say converted. It just says confounded. He didn't win any converts. He, didn't, he might have won the battle, but he did not win the war. And so after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him and let him down in a basket through an opening in the wall. How must Paul have been feeling at that moment? I mean, think with me. He had just gotten back three years going, okay, look, I know the last time I started talking about this, I didn't really know what I was talking about. But three years later, I got it figured out. I'm going right back to my friends, to my brothers, my sisters, to the last place that I left off, and I'm going to bring you. Look, I was wrong. Jesus is the Christ. He knew. He was convinced of it. His story was legitimate. And what do they do? They try to kill him. So now here he is, completely let down, completely sad, He's being lowered over this wall. He would later again refer to this as a humiliating moment for him to be led out of the city. It's dark. He's alone. And now he goes to the only place he knows because he's kind of between a rock and a hard place, you know? He's got no friends. They want to kill him in Damascus, so he goes to the only place he knows. He says in verse 26, So when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And can you say that you blame him? So he's got no friends there, but they were all afraid of him, believing that he was, they didn't believe he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, man, God bless that guy, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them. And again, in Galatians, we know that that's a period somewhere between 15 and 30 days, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked, and look where he went right back to, to the Grecian Jews. But they tried to kill him. Do you see a little pattern forming here in Saul's life? And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Saul was passionate about the Jewish people, about his own people, about his brothers and sisters. So passionate that Romans 9, he would tell us that, man, I would be accursed 
In other words, I would literally go to hell if it meant that my brothers and sisters would follow Christ. I got to tell you, I know nothing of that kind of love. But that's what his passion was there. And every time he would go to them, they would try to kill him. And so you think, here's this guy that is uniquely qualified. His credentials, if anybody in the, in the group was qualified to go to the Jews, it would have been Saul. So of course he's going to go to there. But wait, what did Ananias tell him? What did the Lord tell him his calling was? He told him back in verse 15 of chapter 9, go to number one, the Gentiles. Number two, their kings. And number three, before the people of Israel. He put him in numerical order. And what was the first thing that Saul did? He skipped right to number three. I'm going to go to the Jews because it made perfect sense to him that if I go to the Jews, I'm qualified. They're going to listen to me. They know who I am. In fact, later in Acts chapter 22, he's going to talk about this moment again. And he actually says this is the conversation he had with the Lord. After this moment, he's in Jerusalem. But right before he gets sent to to Tarsus, he says this to the Lord. In verse 17 of chapter 22 of Acts, he says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. And he says, but Lord, he's he's arguing with God now, saying, Lord, I, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He's saying, God, look, you, you obviously didn't think about this. I'm the guy. Like, I'm the guy that is qualified to do this. If anybody in this whole crew, I'm the guy qualified to go to the Jews. Me. And what is the Lord's response? This is, this is Paul's or heartfelt Saul. His name is still Saul at this point. His heartfelt prayer. God, you, you didn't understand. And he says, and then the Lord said to me, I love the King James Version, depart. <laughs> depart. He says, go, and I will send you away to the Gentiles. Now, I look at this little vignette, and man, it resonates with me big time. Because I'm the kind of guy that... I, I kind of had my plans all figured out as to what it is that I was going to do for the Lord based upon my credentials, based upon my expertise, based upon my background. I had this whole plan figured out that, man, I, I'm in the music business. I know all these leaders in all these places. I'm going to go write books and be thoughtful, maybe smoke a pipe and, and speak and write books and travel. That's what I, it made sense. I had all these qualifications. I knew all of these Christian leaders. And the Lord said to Darren, plant a church in, in Nashville, Lord, seriously. Have you done a count? How many churches are in Nashville? Seriously, plant a church. Have you driven down Highway 31? <laughs> Do you know that every nook and cranny that you could even possibly squeeze a church in the, in the Nashville area, that we have found it, and even places where there shouldn't be one? We'll put them in our houses. We'll put them in our clubhouses, at, in our uh, neighborhoods, and we'll put them in hotels. and we'll Start a church. Because that was what God had put in me, and as much as I thought I was qualified to do something else, he leaned me in this direction. Now, in Matthew 11, Jesus would say to his disciples, say to you and me, he would say, come all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
And many of you have discovered that rest. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm a believer. I've, give, I've been given a rest from my works, from those things that cause me to want to work to be saved. But that's not all he says. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you. This is verse 29 of chapter 11. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Most folks, when you've accepted the Lord, if you've built the relationship with the Lord in your life, you know that that, that rest is yours. That come unto me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. But there's a lot of us that we may not have achieved a certain rest in our souls because we're frustrated, we're losing sleep, we're, and maybe, just maybe, it's because we haven't put the yoke on ourselves. Take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke, if you're from a farming background, you know that when you put a yoke on a couple of oxen, that generally speaking, you'll put a a strong ox next to an ox that maybe isn't as smart, maybe a dumb ox, and maybe not quite as strong, but you put them together, and it, the, he, the, the strong ox will lead the dumb ox. Now, I don't know if you understand which one you are in that metaphor when Jesus was talking, but when you put the yoke on you, <laughs> the idea being that when I'm yoked to the Lord, that his yoke was light. His burden is light. It's not hard. It's not difficult. And where we get it a little tricky, the, the Fadleys have got a new puppy, and I've heard that there were some questions of whether or not the leash was going to work with the puppy. When you've got a little dog and you've got them on a leash, generally speaking, one of the first things they do is they're like yanking and just pulling their head and trying to get this thing off of them. And it's kind of exhausting, isn't it? Instead of the learning that, man, Eric, he, he's got my best interest in mind. He's not going to walk me out in front of a car, theoretically. He's going to show me the best fire hydrants on the street. He's going to take me over to the neighbor's yard with a Ziploc bag. He's got my best interest in mind, so it doesn't behoove me to fight against this because he knows what he's doing. If, I, if I'm running away, I'm a dumb dog. I might get ran over by a car. And so when we allow the, the yoke of the Lord to be on us and allow him to lead the way, the minute we stop fighting against Paul, actually God would say to Saul earlier on, it's, it's tiring to kick against the goads, isn't it? Another farming term of trying to kick away from what the Lord is doing in your life, that if you would just stop and relax and let the yoke of Jesus come on you. You see, look what happened to Saul. Go with me and we're going to land this thing. Look what happened to Saul after he let the yoke of Christ come on him because then he went to the Gentiles, okay? Now, keeping in mind, when he went to Tarsus, he went there for 10 years. So after this verse here in chapter 9, Verse 31, he goes to Caesarea, he goes off to Tarsus, where he is going to spend between seven and ten years, depending on which theologian you believe. Off the grid, okay? Here's the guy that is qualified to go to the Jews, the guy that is qualified. It's like what we would do, if we get, if, especially if you're a D-level celebrity, you get saved in America, we will put you on the TV, okay? And trumpet you out because you got saved. What did God do with Saul? Man, he sent him to the desert for three years, and then now... He sends him to his hometown, the hardest place for any Christian to go, new believer to go, back home, 
for seven to 10 years. And I believe it's because it took seven to 10 years for him to really get it wrapped around his head that what his desire, what his, God, don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand the qualifications that I have for these people? My desire, my agenda, my ministry. It took him that long to get it out of his system. But look what happened when he left in verse 31. Saul leaves, goes back to Tarsus, the most qualified guy to minister to the Jews. And it says, and then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. And when did that happen? When Saul stepped out of the way. When he submitted to God's will for his life. Surrendered to the Lord. That is when the church prospered and grew. And then, in chapter 11, you'll see that, and we'll, someday we'll get there. Then when they, you know, seven to ten years later, Barnabas goes and finds him in Tarsus, brings him to Antioch, to the Gentiles. And here is Saul, whose name would now become Paul, and many converts in the Gentile community. He would become the apostle to the Gentiles. His passion all along, his heart was to do this one thing, but God had another desire for him. And the minute he submitted and surrendered to that, he wound up writing two-thirds of the New Testament that you and I enjoy to this day. Letters that were captured in time, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that would become ours when he surrendered to the Lord. And for you and for me this morning, I don't know what it is in your life, but if you're like me, you tend to have your plan and your agenda and your idea and maybe you wouldn't verbally say it, oh God, it's a better idea than the one that you've got, but we act like it. I got a better plan. Clearly you haven't thought this through. And I can speak from experience when I say that when you are kicking against the goads, okay, when you are resisting what he's wanting you to do, when you've got your plan and your agenda, man, you'll lose some sleep at night. You will be stressed and freaked out. And you, Man, God, this relationship, if you only knew how much this girl, this girlfriend of mine, man, she's awesome. If you, you don't have any idea, God, and maybe that's not his will for your life. Maybe this job that you've got, maybe the one you just got fired from, was God just saying, look, you, you weren't listening, so I'm going to kick you out of the nest. And this moment of being let down, just like Paul, let down by your friends, let down by relationships, let down by your job, let down by your family. You don't see it maybe today, but I promise that someday like Paul, that if you will submit and surrender your life to the Lord, that someday like Paul, you'll look back and say, oh no, no, that moment when I was being let down by my friends, let down by my job, let down by my people around me, let down by the situation, that when I look back to that moment, I'll be able to look back and say, oh, but that was the moment that I learned to take his yoke on me. He meant to give us rest. He meant for it to be easy. He meant for it to be peaceful in our lives. And so if your walk with the Lord isn't there right now, man, pray about it. Maybe this is what God would say to you today. And just think about it. If God really did take your specific qualifications, your specific credentials, and then used that in your life, wouldn't you be tempted to take the credit for it? I would. Full blown, I would. I'd put it in my bio on my website, on my famousspeakers.com website. Ain't nobody can look at this and say, yeah, Darren did this. This is the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit because I can't take credit. I don't know how to do this. But the Lord has given us peace. I sleep like a baby now. My wife can tell you because she has to wake me up because I'm snoring. That wasn't the case two years ago. 
I mean, it was so not the case that I literally finally just submitted and took some Lunesta. I'm like, you know what? I just got to sleep because my mind was just racing. Don't need it anymore because the Lord is allowing me that kind of rest. And I know he has it for you as well. I'm not saying that I'm specifically that spiritual. I'm just saying I was just that dumb. And it took me that long to finally just submit to the yoke of the Lord on my life. And I don't know what it means for you specifically. I'll let the Lord tell you that. Just know that when, specifically if you've been let down, look up. Like Saul did, like Paul did. If you've been let down, just look up. Look for the Lord, what he's saying, what he's doing in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we give ourselves uh, to you. I know that in a room with this many folks, that there have got to be all kinds of us that have been let down. Maybe we've been let down by the church, let down by our husband or wife, let down by our job. Help us to look up, to look for you in that journey, that you, just like Paul, that he would look back and say, man, that was, that was an awful moment and it was awesome, that we'll know that someday we can look back at these awful moments and say, man, those were awesome. They taught me to put your yoke on. Lord, I've asked that you would speak to us this morning, specifically those that you're calling maybe into a ministry, maybe into something you've called them to do and they're kicking against it, that you would be there with them and gently nudge them on. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to worship. And at some moment, we'll probably break in and see Jeremy live from Journey. But until that moment, man, I just encourage you to plug into the Lord, plug into the Holy Spirit, let him download his will into your life uh, as you surrender your hearts.